0: How did you find peace while on the cross Though I may never understand I'll trust with all my heart And from the course that you have planned I never want to part In searching for your way and wisdom Teach me if you would that for all times in every place my God is God. How can you give pardon to a life that's full of sin? Where is the refuge for my cares? Is there any Is your answer to my prayers Though I may never understand I'll trust with all my heart And from the course that you have planned I never want to part In searching for your way and wisdom Teach me if you would That for all times and every place my God Me if you would and for all time in every place my God is good.
1: Amen, thank you for that. appreciate that. If you have your Bibles go ahead and open up to Zechariah chapter number four, Zechariah chapter number four. That is in the Minor Prophets, towards the end of the New Testament. I'll let you flip around there a little bit, then I'll tell you how to find it. I'm just kidding. But if you do go to if you go to the Book of Gospel of Matthew, all right, and then you just flip backwards two books, uh, you'll find Malachi and then Zechariah. All right, you. I know you would find it, but it is one of those little books that uh, that we don't go to that often. And uh, as you're turning there to Zechariah, let me just give you an introduction of what is taking place. Zechariah in this book, uh, or in this chapter rather, that we're going to look at, chapter number 4, Zechariah chapter number 4, is taking place in Jerusalem. And the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And they had taken the nation of Israel and carried them away captive. And when they did that, they completely destroyed the temple. Uh, and could you imagine the great temple that Solomon built was a, an absolutely marvelous uh, place that, that Solomon had built. And then many, many years later, of course, the Babylonians have destroyed it. And the children of Israel had been carried away into Babylon. You remember the book of Daniel, uh, that he was carried away in captivity. That was that captivity And uh, they were carried away to Babylon and then eventually uh, they were allowed to return to Jerusalem. And you'll remember in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they focus on rebuilding that temple. And uh, and so they're interested in rebuilding that temple. And matter of fact, Zerubbabel, one of the men that we'll look at, he was the governor of Judah. Uh, he was there, and he was rebuilding the foundation of the temple. And it was a very discouraging work because the uh, the government was antagonizing them. Uh, they were still under the control of the Babylonians and Persians, and they did not want them to uh, fully rebuild, but they did allow them to go back, and they did allow them to rebuild. And, uh, and just for a moment so that you can kind of understand what that was like for them. Uh, we get complimented on our building all the time. I, we just had a fellow in here uh, looking at something and he said, you have a very nice building. And I said, well, praise the Lord. Thank you. Our people take care of it. Then you people have taken care of the building and it is, it is a nice looking facility. It really is, especially for the years that it's been here. And, uh, and so could you imagine then, uh, that this building would be destroyed and somebody would come in and, and scatter everyone and, and there'd be uh, holes in the roof and the walls would be uh, holes in them and torn down and the carpet being uh, torn up. And, and man, some of you are getting angry just just hearing about this. It's, it's not happening, okay? I'm just helping you illustrate what had taken place for them. And then it's left abandoned for years. Could you imagine what would take place if there's holes in the roof and uh, water damage and nobody's taking care of it and and people would come in and steal the copper pipes out of here and, and things of that nature and there'd be nothing of value left and they would go back to the temple and here it is, just a pile of rubble in all reality. And so they begin the work of, of clearing out everything that was trashed and everything that had been left there, and, and, uh, and they bring everything out of the temple, and they have to start all the way back down at the foundation, the walls had been destroyed, and so they start rebuilding the foundation and it was not an easy task but on top of that I could just imagine that the government officials are telling you no you can't do this and and uh, one government you got a, a signed declaration from one government official saying no we can do this and other ones are coming by and they're saying no you're not allowed to do this and you're being harassed and you're trying to rebuild the temple and that was the state That they were in, and they had already laid the foundation and they were in the process of rebuilding that temple. We tune in here in, in Zechariah chapter number four and verse number one, and the Bible says, And the angel that talked with me came again and walked and waked me as a man that is waked out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. And I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answerest, answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And he said, No. And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel, With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. And let's stop and let's pray before we get into our passage this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. and God, we thank you for your word that we can look at, we can study, God, we can read from. Thank you for the liberty that we have to gather in your house, Father, on a a Sunday morning without fear, without concern. God, that we can openly meet and openly praise your name and openly read your word. God, I I thank you for that privilege. I thank you for the health that each and every person has that they could be here this morning. And God, I pray for the next few moments that you would help us to focus on your word. And God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. And God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as we look at this passage. And God, may we see what you have for us and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, uh, it is exactly as I've described. They have already destroyed the temple. And and as you notice in verse number 9, that Zerubbabel has already laid the foundations. But you're saying, man, those first few verses, uh, it was a vision that Zerubbabel saw. Yes, it was. And, and I don't want us to get lost in the vision of what has taken place. But I do want us to see a few things out of this text this morning. And the first thing that I want you to notice in chapter number 4... And verse number one is that the Bible says, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. I'll be honest with you, I read this passage, uh, I don't know if it was last week, the week before, but I read this passage and, and verse number 10 really stood out to me that talks about uh, that who who hath despised the day of small things, for they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. And I started looking at that, and I thought, well, what does that mean? And I had in my mind one thing, but as I started to study it, I actually found that it was something totally different. And uh, and to be honest with you, I'll have to look at it a little bit more. But as I was studying the context of the entire passage, there were a few things that jumped out of the page at me. There were a few things that stood out that, that are interesting. And the one, the first thing that I noticed as we read this is verse number one, that the Bible says there, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And I read that and I thought, isn't that interesting? Right after our revival service, you know what revival means? Uh, The word revive is to, uh, to breathe in new life. And so the idea there would be that, hey, we would be awakened as Christians to live a life that is glorifying and pleasing to God. That we would be revived in our spirit. And as I read that and I thought about this verse and you look at there, the Bible says, and the angel that talked with me came again. In other words, that this that Zerubbabel, and let me just interrupt here for a minute myself. That Zerubbabel uh, was not a prophet of God. Uh, Zerubbabel was a common man, from all that I could gather that we understand. Now he is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, but we find that he was actually the governor of Judah. The the the. Uh, the Persians had appointed him as governor of Judah. And so we find that he's here and he is part of the rebuilding process. He's a a layman, if I could say that, in the tabernacle. He's not a priest and, and he takes and he is helping lay the foundation. But it seems as though, as we read this, that him and this angel had been talking prior. And as they were talking, for whatever reason, Zerubbabel fell asleep. I mean, that's what it seems to me. It says, and the angel that talked with me came again. So perhaps the angel left. Perhaps they were in middle of dialogue. Perhaps uh, that as the angel dialogued and talked to Zerubbabel, that uh, perhaps Zerubbabel had fallen asleep. That would not be unforeseen. Many times as we, uh, as we strive, to do something for the Lord. Many times we are tired and many times we are wore out and many times uh, in our spiritual life maybe we're not physically sleeping but we go into a dormant period of our life when things that are spiritual are not as important as they ought to be. And we need wakened as He was as the angel came and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And there is a call in verse number 1 to wake up. I remember looking in the Bible and go with me. Well, you don't have to go there, but in the book of Acts, you can just note it down. In Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 9, the Bible gives reference to Eutychus. At least that's how I'm going to pronounce his name. I don't know. You can look it up and figure out how to pronounce it yourself. But uh, uh, I always have pronounced it Eutychus. And the Bible says in Acts 29, there sat a wi- in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Now, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep in church. I'll confess I have. It was probably when I was in Bible college and I was going to class in the morning and I was working in the evenings and, and uh, of course doing homework after classes and I would come back and, and work and uh, of course dorm life is not really conducive to sleep anyways and so, uh, you know, I'm sure that there were times that I had fallen asleep in church. Well, this young man, Eutychus, fell asleep in church. But it was a little worse for him because as he was sitting there, uh, you know, we have pews and we don't really have windows per se, but I could imagine them being in in a, a third story loft where they would meet. And they'd climb up the stairs into a little room, and there'd be some windows, and as you go up into that loft, it would probably be pretty warm as, as they're up there. They didn't have air conditioning in those days, and so Eutychus, being kind of warm, would set himself on the ledge of the window, and there was no glass, or maybe the windows were open, we're not told. But as he sat there, he drifted off and fell asleep during Paul's preaching. And Paul, just for reference... It was a long message, the Bible says. Paul was long preaching, alright? A lot of Baptist preachers like that verse uh, because sometimes they're long preaching. But, uh, but Paul was long preaching, and this young man, he fell asleep, but, but the problem is he fell out of the window and fell three stories and died. At least that's what they had thought. And I don't know, I'm not going to get into whether he was dead or not. It really does not matter. They went down and Paul... Uh, woke him up or revived him, I don't know which, and and we find that that he was brought back to life or uh, at least was given a second shot at life. But what I want to take away from this is the idea that while the preaching was going on and in the midst of a spiritual uh, uh, work that was taking place, this young man fell asleep. And listen, right in the middle of a spiritual work that could be going on, it's very potential that any of us could Fall asleep on God. You say, well, not me. Well, you can join Peter with the ranks, all right, the not me's. And that usually doesn't end too well because you know how Peter ended up. He said, I'll not deny you, Lord. And then he ended up denying him three times and was called out publicly by the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm just saying it does happen. And listen, he fell asleep while they were preaching. And uh, there's a whole message that I could preach there, but we'll not get off on that following that, that rabbit trail. But not only this young man in the book of Acts, but you'll remember the disciples as Jesus had gone into the garden of the Gethsemane. And it was a very serious time as Jesus was about to be betrayed and he told his disciples that. He said, listen, the hour has come that I'm to be betrayed and turned over to the hands of sinners. And he told them, he says, watch and pray with me. And he goes off a little further and he prays. And he comes back. And when he comes back in, in Matthew 26:43, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. It had taken place already once and it had taken place again this second time and the third time Jesus said, hey, sleep on now and take your rest. I'm tired of waking you up. In other words, hey, you've fallen asleep. I'm trying to do a spiritual work and I'm praying about a very serious matter that Jesus Christ is about to be portrayed and I'm just saying that sometimes even in the midst of a spiritual work, even in the midst of something that God is moving and God is working, that many times man will... Will fall asleep. And hey, there's a call that, that it ought to wake us up. And in Zechariah 4, 1, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And I'm just saying there is a spiritual call that we need to wake up to the day and age that we're living in. Hey, these very well could be the last days that we're living in. And the Bible is very clear that men will grow, uh, will, will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And if there's ever a time that we need to wake up, the time is now. Because there's a work to be done. We, not, we should not be sleeping. On God. Uh, Listen, as we look at uh, this idea and and then the idea of the candlestick that was given there, uh, the Bible says in Revelation chapter number one and verse number 20, it talks about that candlestick and it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And it goes in, I don't want to get lost in all the detail, but I'll just say this, that the candlestick certainly represents the church age. And it represents that, hey, this man, Zerubbabel, was sleeping, and and the angel came and woke him up and said, hey, listen, there's a spiritual wake-up call because there's a work to be done. I believe in the church ages that we're living, many times they'll say we're living in the Laodicean church age. You go through them and there's several church ages that are listed in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter number 3, he gives us the Laodicean church age. And under the church angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, but that thou wert cold, But I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Hey, and we need a spiritual wake up call. That God says, hey, we need to wake up. We need to realize that we're mediocre in our Christian walk with God. And God wants to call us not to be cold Christians, that we would turn and walk away from Him, but rather that we would draw closer to Him and that we would say, hey, I want to be a a Christian that is hot, that is on fire for God, that's living for God. Hey, there's a spiritual wake-up call that He's getting. In chapter 4 and verse number 1, a call to wake up. Not only that, but as we look at verses 2 and 3, look with me there in Zechariah chapter 4, and verses 2 and 3, we find, And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, and a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, and one upon the right side of the bull, and the other upon the left side. In verse number four, So I answered and spake to the angel and that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? He didn't know what he was looking at, but it was a candlestick. And as I've already said in Revelation, it says, hey, that the candlestick represents those churches and those church ages, rather, as we look at the seven of them. And we're in the Laodicean church age that thou art cold or hot, uh, but because thou art lukewarm, he said in the book of Revelations, uh, that, hey, he would spew us out of his mouth. In other words, we need to be on fire for God. But as we look at the candlestick, what is the job? of a candlestick provides light you take a candle and and you put fire to it and and when the lights go out my lights went out this morning and I had to get ready in the dark and I had to get ready without electricity and, uh, uh, and, and that's always, that's not usually fun. All right. And, and so, uh, you would take a candle and you would light it up. Praise the Lord. The sun was out, so it wasn't dark, uh, but, uh, but still not having electricity. And so, uh, the, you'd take a candle and you would light that thing and it would provide light. There's a reason that God uses the symbolism of the church as a candlestick because the church is to provide light to the world. Matter of fact, go with me to Matthew uh, chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, save your spot in Zechariah, as we'll be back there. That'll save you from trying to find it again, all right? Zechariah chapter, or Matthew chapter number 5, just over a few pages really. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13. And Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount and He says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And Jesus is giving an illustration here that, hey, that the salt, uh, that as Christians, we are the salt of the earth. And he says, if the salt have lost his savor. Now, I have never had salt that lost its savor before. And so I got to wondering about that. I said, what does that mean, the salt that lost its savor? So I, I just looked it up real quickly and, and found that in Bible times, uh, much of our salt is processed and, and uh, added things so that it does not lose its flavor and things of that nature. But during Bible times, they would just have salt that there was mined, and, uh, and as it would set out, uh, the humidity would get to it, and eventually, uh, it would still look white, and it would still look like salt, but you'd put it on, and it was not quite as salty as it ought to be it would lose that salt flavor through the humidity that would affect it and uh, and after that what is it's all good for if you can't taste it well the bible says nothing Matter of fact, to cast out in the street and to be trodden underfoot. And what he's saying really to the Christian is, listen, that we are the salt of the earth. We are the ones that ought to be bringing the light to the world. And and listen, if we've lost our saltiness, if we become cold or if we become lukewarm and we're no longer useful, that listen, uh, that, that it's good for nothing, the Bible says he goes on in the next illustration in verse number 14. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In verse number 1 in Zechariah, we have a call to wake up. In verses 2 and 3, we have a call to witness because he saw that candlestick and it was to provide light to the world. It was to be the witness to the world. And hey, we've got a call that we are to be the witness to the world. I've never seen a light lit and then put under a bushel to hide it. What's the purpose of lighting it if if you're going to hide it? But the purpose of lighting it is so that it can shine to everything that exists. And we find that there's a call that we are to shine uh, to the world. And listen, they see our good works, the Bible says here in verse number 16, and, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Hey, when people look at you and they say, uh, man, you're, you're a really patient fella," You know what a good response is? Praise the Lord. He changed me. I'm not patient by nature. I'm not patient by uh, because I'm uh, of who I am. I'm patient because He changed my life. And there's many responses that you can give. But hey, listen, we ought to be always pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to be a light. And listen, don't be ashamed of God. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, we ought to let our light shine to the world. They ought to be able to see our good works. They ought to be able to see our life and glorify our Father. And listen, uh, as as we think about this in in Zechariah, back in Zechariah chapter number 4, look at what he says in verse number 6. Our purpose is to shine as a light, as a candlestick. But then in verse number six, he says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You say, well, I want to, man, I want to really be a bright Christian. And you say, well, I'm going to, and you really polish yourself up and you say, I'm going to be extra nice and I'm going to go out of my way. Listen, it's not our actions. It's not what you can manufacture. It's not how you can make yourself presentable as a good person. But it is the work of God in your heart and your life. It's the spirit of God that works in you, and you say, "Well, how do you how do you do that in the adult Sunday school class for the past oh, I'd say uh, six or seven weeks? We've been going over the fruit of the spirit, and we've been covering hey that we ought to have uh, there's there's uh, joy, peace, long suffering, uh, gentleness, goodness, meekness, uh, and all of those things, and temperance. And we've been going over how we can have those in our life. And you know what? That all boils down to is to us submitting to God in our lives on a regular basis and saying God help me to live for you help me to display gentleness help me to display meekness help me display goodness help me to display uh, the joy and the love of a Christian and help me God uh, to display those things because in and of ourselves, they're not going to display but if we're submitted to the spirit of God in our life hey listen listen It'll come out and it will be on display because it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we find that to be true. And and you say, well, how how can I get that? Listen, the Bible says that if you're born again and if you're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And he's with you at every day. You, You know, the guy that you shut off and you say, I don't want to read the Word of God. I don't want to do what's right. I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that. That's the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. And he says, listen, you need to do right. You need to live for God. And if we'll submit to the God in our lives, then we'll submit to that voice inside of us, the Holy Spirit, not our own voice, but the Spirit that dwells upon us, uh, that dwells in us, rather. Listen, then we'll be able to live for God. Look at what he says in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse number 7. After he says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. He goes on in verse number 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. In other words, it's a mountain, but because Zerubbabel has God in him, it's made flat and it's a plain and it's no longer a problem. It's been changed because God is in, the, in control and God has the power to be able to change those things. And so we see that, hey, there is a call to wake up, number one. Number two, there is a call to witness that we're responsible to get the gospel to the lost and dying world. I want you to notice here as well in verse number 9. We'll go back to verse 8. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. Not only is there a call to wake up and a call to witness, but there's here in verse number nine a call to work. Zerubbabel, as I said, he had started laying the foundation, but in Zerubbabel's life, as he had started laying the foundation, they say that there was uh, a, quite an extensive pause in the work. As the people went back and they started rebuilding the temple there, uh, they were discouraged because of the oppression that was taking place, because of the, the state of the temple, I'm sure, as they walked in and saw how it was, and, and they started working, and after working for quite a while and and very little progress being made, they probably thought, man, is this even worth it? Are we ever going to get back to the place where it was before? Are we going to be able to restore the temple? And they got discouraged in the work that they were doing. And they said, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. They had been discouraged and they had paused the work, you'll notice that they had laid the foundation, but he goes on and he says, and thou shalt finish it. Go back with me to Haggai. You're saying, oh boy, another book. Just back a couple of pages, all right? Just before Zechariah is Haggai. And look with me in Haggai chapter number one, and we'll find that it's the same passage really, and it's dealing with Zerubbabel, and it's dealing with the rebuilding of the temple. And in Haggai chapter number one, and verse number one, the Bible says, Uh, Just go back just a couple pages there, just before Zechariah's Haggai. It's only two chapters, so if you turn more than one page, you'll miss it. But Haggai chapter number 1, and verse number 1. He says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your way. There was lots of opposition to the rebuilding of the house. There was lots of opposition to rebuilding the temple. There were uh, the, the governors that did not want to... Not the governors, but the, uh, the the government leaders that would try and shut them down. And there was mocking. And, and there was even themselves as they would go in and they would look at the state of things and they would be discouraged and say, man, I don't know if we can ever get back to where we were. But the Lord, word of the Lord came several times. It came by an angel. It came by Haggai the prophet. And he came to Zerubbabel and he said, listen is now the time for you to dwell in your sealed houses." reading the background of what that had taken place as they had gone in and started rebuilding the temple and they got discouraged by the work that was taking place and, and they decided, you know what, let's make our living quarters a little better and, and make our housing a little better and after all, we've got we've to work back on those things and, and so they made their houses better but then Haggai brings them to the place and says, listen, it's wonderful that your houses are all sealed. It's wonderful that your homes are all taken care of but listen, the house of God God lies in waste, and he says consider your ways and he says it's not right and he gives them A lot to think about in verse number seven. He says it again, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Look, jump down with me in verse number 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. God stirred up their hearts. He brought the messenger, the man of God, Haggai, to stir their hearts and to say, listen, now it's time to wake up. Now it's time uh, to witness and let other people know that there is a God in heaven. And now it's time to get to work and to get back to the rebuilding of the temple. And listen, as they did that, they came back and they did rebuild the temple. Listen, it, it wasn't like the first glory but it was a completed temple and it was a place for them to worship. And they were able to rebuild it. Listen, there are times in our Christian life when we'll fall asleep on God and we'll look at our own personal lives and we'll say, man, will I ever get back to where I once was spiritually? And God would say, hey, listen, it's a call to wake up. You need to wake up from where you're at. You need to. It's a call to witness and let other people know that there's a God in heaven. And then there's a call to work that says, hey, you continue working at it and you continue laboring in your life and your spiritual life and you can.'" Continue and get back to the place where you once were with the Lord Jesus Christ. We find a call to work. Not only that, but go back with me to Zechariah chapter 4, there, just over a couple pages in verse number 10. In verse number 9, there's a call to work. And the let's go back to verse number 9. And the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also uh, his hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. And verse number 10, For who hath despised the small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel, with whose seven they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Listen, they had started the work, but then they had neglected it, and God had stirred their hearts and called them back to it. And then we see uh, the, the work in progress. And in verse number 10, we, we find that uh, they had despised some of the small things. But he's saying, listen, rejoice in the little progress that's made. Oftentimes in America, and not, not just America, but in life in general, big things are applauded. And we look for big things. I mean, after all, uh, big stadiums, when they're full of people, are exciting and they draw a lot of people. We look at big things like, uh, you know, big accomplishments. Wow, that is a landmark. And what God is saying, listen, there's little things in our life that we can be happy about. There's little accomplishments that can take place, that we can say, praise the Lord, God is doing something. You know, I find in most places in the Bible, the only time God works in big, marvelous ways is usually judgment, and it's usually not good. Many of the times throughout the Bible, listen, the, the larger works of God are judgment, but you look at, uh, you look at Elijah when he's in the mountain, and, and God sends the whirlwind, but he wasn't in the whirlwind. God sends the earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake. God sends the fire, but he wasn't in the fire. And the Bible says, "But a still small voice came, and that was God." Listen, how many little things did God use throughout Bible? You know, David when he destroyed Goliath. Oh, it was a big thing, but David was a little guy. He was he was looked at. He wasn't even a soldier. And you know what he picked up? Five little stones and took them to destroy a giant. How about the time when uh, God used a widow woman to take care of Elijah? How about the time when God took the little things, the the few small fish and the loaves of bread to feed 5,000 people? And you say, time and time again, it is little things that God gathers up and He does something great and it's not always miraculous and it's not always uh, some great show, but many times it's the little things in life. That God takes here in, in Zechariah 4:10, for who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. What is a plummet? What is a plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel? Well, I'm familiar with a plumb line. A plumb line is simply a string, and on the bottom of it is a weight. Many times it would be a lead weight or a rock that's tied to it. And if you take that plumb line and you put it up level, or you pin it up rather, and you wait for it to stop swinging, it will be 100% straight. And the construction, they would use that to make sure as they're laying their lines of brick and laying their lines of stone that they would be 100% straight because you don't want it uh, being crooked in any way. So they would use that uh, to make sure that their walls were built straight. And and a plummet can be many things. It can be a straight edge. It can be something that would just mark and make things that are absolutely straight. But what I'm saying is this, as they saw the the work that was going on, in, in Zerubbabel's hand it was not a large work it wasn't that Zerubbabel had gone in and, and, and completely raised the wall all by himself but it was the little things that Zerubbabel was doing that the people were encouraged and said hey look he's working and he's doing something we need to jump in and do something listen there's many little things that we can be glad that God's working it's not always great big things We say, well, we look forward to those high days. Well, we do, yes. But listen, you can rejoice in the little things that God does in your life. And in this church, I I think of little things. They go on week after week. I praise the Lord and I I wouldn't mention them because some people would be embarrassed. but, But just the people that come here and work and they clean the building and they open the building and they take care of things and they take care of that. And I'm just saying they're little things. You don't see them take place. But we can rejoice that God's work is going forward. That he is doing something. Oh, we wish for those great big, when, when, when the, the, the auditorium is packed out. Yeah, we do. But can I say to you this morning, just because the auditorium is not packed out does not mean God is not working. There's plenty that God is doing, and it's small things that we need to take appreciation of the fact that God is moving and God is working. In this place, there's a call to wake up, there's a call to witness, and there's a call to work. And all three of those calls are visible in that chapter as he calls Zerubbabel back to the labor and all of those that are involved back to the labor in rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. And I'm telling you this morning listen, in your life, maybe, maybe you're struggling, maybe you have. Gotten away from the Lord. Maybe it's a call to wake up. Maybe you're not witnessing like you once were. Maybe it's a call to witness. Maybe you're not working like you once were. Maybe it's a call back to work and say, you know what? God wants to use you. Where are you at this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet? Three calls call to wake up, call to witness and a call to work. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Zerubbabel, a man that was willing to do something. God, he got out the plummet, and he went back to work. God, I pray that you'd help us as we labor and as we work God, it's not always big things and it's not always grand things, but it's the little things that we do, Father, for you. Help us to keep our hand to the plow. Help us to keep the plummet in hand and continue working. God, though the task may seem insurmountable, though it may seem impossible, Help us to know, God, that you're working in the little things that are done. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, God spoke into your heart, the altar's open.